This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Now, Carrie Kerpin. So how do you make real-time and personalized engagement possible when you work for a regulated brand? Just ask Jennifer Heyman. Jennifer Heyman manages the social media conversation and community engagement as a VP at Wells Fargo, and she has a fascinating way to bring the art of business to personalized conversation. Take a listen. Welcome, Jennifer, to the show. Thank you, Carrie. It's a real honor to be here. I am so excited to have you on today. And of course, as always, we want to start off with the story of you, Jennifer. Before we get into your incredible role at Wells, we want to talk to you about uh, you. So tell me the story of your career. It's almost like, where do I start? I will say, hopefully you will notice a theme of the customer, the customer experience, and personalization through my crazy story. I'll be honest in saying, in my 20s, after college, I was the classic professional drifter. I lived in three states, two countries. I worked for six different companies all by the time I was 30. During that time, I also went back to business school to get an MBA, which was pretty important at the time. That became my impetus for moving to the San Francisco Bay Area. Upon arriving in San Francisco, I was lucky enough to get a job with Charles Schwab. This was pre.com. In fact, I joined Schwab two months before they launched online trading which at the time didn't seem like such a big deal, but two to six months after that, it was as if Charles Schwab had revolutionized the online trading world. And the great thing is Schwab was offering, again, this personalized trading service to customers, which had been previously unavailable to anyone. This began my fascination with all things digital and what could be done online. And I spent the next 10 years sort of immersing myself in emerging areas within digital marketing, customer experience and strategy, building online communities, developing tools and new products. And I spent some of that time as well as an independent consultant, managing my own time and my own business, working for a variety of different clients in different industries, all in the Bay Area. The primary reason I did that is it allowed me to contain my work to 40 hours a week so that I really could spend more time raising my newborn daughter who was born in the middle of 2005. I love, love her. You always get the awe when you hear it about the babies. So that's incredible. So 40 hours a week, you were able to do that on the consulting side. Correct. In, uh, In 2009, I had a great invitation to bring my skills to Wells Fargo to support them again in a consultative capacity as they worked hard to to integrate Wachovia Bank. And the key thing they needed help with was someone to manage all of their online websites that were about communication to customers 
as their products and services converted over to Wells Fargo. So it was a great way to learn within a bank, within a regulated industry, essentially how to launch new content, how to connect with customers, um, and how to ensure as well that messaging aligned online, offline, through all points of integration. This was an important foundation for me because in 2012, when the work ended, I had an invitation to join the social media team. Wells had been active in social for about three years at this point in time, and they needed a generalist who really understood how to get content live on an online platform within Wells Fargo, again, taking into account the nature of the regulated industry. So my consulting role in social was a stepping stone to a much larger role for me. They actually offered me a full-time position at the end of 2012 and said, we'd like you to come back. We'd like you to increase the hours you're working, and we'd like you to manage our Facebook page for us. It's our largest profile property, greatest number of followers, and we know it'll be a big job for you, but we really need a business person to lead it, not necessarily a creative person. said, we want someone who can manage risk, but who has this passion for serving the customer in the way that you do and ensuring that the right processes are built to support customer conversations on the platform. I spent two years doing that, grew a small team globally to help support a a seven-day-a-week conversation, and then about 18 months ago, moved to a different role on the same team in social, essentially managing that customer conversation across all seven platforms on which Wells Fargo has a presence. So I'm now called the Vice President of Social Engagement for Wells Fargo, and it's been an awesome role. Well, you know, you really do hear the theme. I mean, if you think about from Charles Schwab learning about sort of that online implication that was so revolutionary then and how you've kind of flowed with that entire experience, I I love the whole story. I see the theme completely. It's been fun. I have to only hope it continues. (laughs) I love it. And so when you stepped back in the consultant role, was that something that you look back on and say, this was a great move for me that I did at that time? Did it work for you? Because I know a lot of people think about, and I've seen a lot of this recently around how women plan for their careers and having children, right? There's, there's a t- obviously, there's a ton around lean in and all of these different things. Uh, but going to a consulting role is a very interesting approach to be able to set the hours that you need to provide the time that you want with your family. Did that work for you? It definitely worked for me, and I think for if I were to give someone advice on how to incorporate that into their own career, I think there are a couple of factors that you have to take into account either for where you live, what your specialization is, or what you are needed as far as how work fits into your life. So living in the Bay Area in 2005, 2006, the consultant market was flourishing. There were no shortage of opportunities and really salient, meaty, high-performance, high-productivity opportunities with lots of visibility. So I felt like I could transfer my skills from financial services. I worked for Oracle for a while. I worked for another education technology firm. I worked in the sports industry. I was able to really transfer the skills that I had acquired across industries Um, And I think that's a really important assessment that one must make before making a decision to move into consulting. I think the other thing that's important is to look at what the pay is. 
So pay levels for consulting have shifted significantly over the past 20 years. Um, and companies also change their appetite for do they want hourly consultants? Do they want consultants who are part of maybe a broader statement of work? So I think getting a sense of what companies' appetite is for hiring consultants also helps. And I think at the end of the day, I leveraged a ton of networking to find work and to really peel back the layers to understand what were these questions that I needed answers to and build that constant network of communication with other consultants doing similar things to you or having come from a similar background so that you really are sharing job opportunities, experiences, and also letting people know if and when you segue out of consulting and into a full-time opportunity. So I think the network, the assessment of the, the industry and the appetite for consulting and also really looking at the pay is a really critical step for someone thinking of making a change from full-time work into consulting and then again back into full-time work. Jen, thank you so much for that because I think that that transparency and especially the the ability to think about pay uh, for so many of my listeners is so important. So thank you for giving them uh, that sort of insight. I think it's incredible. And looking at moving over and and getting into the full-time role um, when you were looking at Wells Fargo, you were looking at a regulated industry. Talk to me a little bit about how when you came in to do full-time for Facebook and you're looking at taking a business, I loved how they talked about how they wanted not necessarily a creative running it, they wanted a business person really who was thinking about it sort of strategically and all of this. When you were looking at that, how do you play in Facebook and on social broadly as a part of a regulated industry. Talk to us a little bit about some of the regulations and some of the ways that you can still insert uh, not only creativity, but overall effectiveness across social. So regulation impacts a number of industries, financial service, you know, healthcare, are probably the two that come to mind. And I think what can, customers and consumers are most concerned about is the credibility and the safety of their data. So one of the things we looked at which may not be where your question is going, is how we communicated with customers who may have asked questions or had issues or turned to social for complaint resolution, how we communicated with them and how we ensured that we kept that conversation in a secure and private channel. So that's one of the most important things mm. that I think regulated industries have to consider. Um, for us, that meant not turning on private messages on Facebook. And to this day, the Wells Fargo corporate branded pages just still does not use private messaging for that reason. That's so, incredible. So tell me what you do. So somebody comes onto the page and they have some kind of question or something, you immediately take them off of the Facebook platform. That is correct. Yes. We have a, a very large dedicated team that works 24-7 and that works to resolve and triage critical questions, because many questions that are asked in the social space cannot be resolved quickly through one email conversation or sometimes even through one phone conversation. I think the other thing we did is we built up expertise in our heaviest lines of business in which there's a strong customer service focus. So we relied on many of our subject matter experts throughout the company to help with servicing. That's really critical because customers expect a very quick reply and they really do want resolution immediately. 
again, in financial services, it's almost impossible to deliver resolution in real time, but you want to communicate in real time and ensure that your handoff is to a team that is going to be able to then immediately triage and or resolve the issue versus the ongoing handoff. You see a lot of complaints in the social space in general that all brands do is handoff, handoff, handoff. So we really work to ensure we have the back end to help with getting customers path to the right team through which to provide resolution. So that was a, that was a key thing to build up in the regulated space. The other thing we did on the front end is pretty extensive roadshows in socializing what our objectives and strategy were for all of the different platforms on which we were participating so that our lines of business had a greater understanding of how they could best use the platform to push out their message. So we invite all of our lines of business to consider publishing messages through social channels, and we have a very extensive process internally for how those requests are made and what sort of approval content goes through. Mm -hmm. But the key thing was to really let our lines of business know here's the purpose and the strategy of Facebook. Here's the target audience. Here are the best practices for developing content. And of course, mm -hmm. that's you know, shifted much more recently into video, into short form video, into live video, um, as far as how we do that for a regulated industry. So basically right now, <laughs> we're not doing that. Well, that might be challenging. I would imagine <laughs> regulated. You know, there's a lot that you guys do do that I think is really innovative, but I think live video would be very challenging and regulated. Yes, we do hope one day to be able to do that, but you might, we're, you not, might. we're not there right now. Right. So I think the key with overcoming the hurdle of regulation is really letting your business partners know how they can best create content that will likely have a positive and achievable business result for them. And then also ensuring on the back end, here's what happens if customers comment, ask questions, or complain, this is our process for what we do to pass them to getting an answer. So those two things really helped us overcome, again, some of the difficulties being in a regulated industry. I think you do an incredible job of expressing both empathy and really, you know, thanking people when they give sort of great feedback. You can see it all throughout, certainly on the Facebook page and on Twitter when you look at this. Talk to me a little bit about how, as a regulated brand, you can personalize messages um, without giving away personal information. What are the steps you take to ensure that everyone feels heard? So there are a couple of ways to do this and a couple considerations that the conversation on our social platforms is not all complaints or angst. There are many right. positive contributions made to our platform. And we also are very much in the camp that we try to leverage our very large employee base to help become advocates on behalf of the brand as, as well in the way they converse on social. Um, so I think taking those into account we try to identify where a question is really about a personal transactional issue with the bank. We pass a certain way and we are responsive to an individual calling out their name, signing our name, you know, offering assistance in what we think is a very uh, conscientious and sort of empathetic way. We also do the same personalized touch with non-complaint messages. So one thing we launched last year as an example, we realized that many customers found it really exciting that when they went to the ATM on their birthday, we surfaced a happy birthday message. 
Amazing. Now, the, the, of course, the logic behind the scenes, we know their birthday. So yeah. we know when that's occurring. And we start to see this pattern of people saying, wow, that's so great. Wells Fargo just wished me happy birthday. So we actually created a couple of happy birthday videos, a very short five-second animated GIF. And when people tweet to us that happy birthday image or if they mention it on Facebook, we respond with the animated GIF. Now, it's not personalized to the individual, but it is pretty real-time and specific to the fact that it is their birthday and they called it out. So that's one thing we've done. We've also been experimenting a lot with other visual replies that do allow us to personalize almost in real time, you know, real time in less than 12 hours, um, a message that is about them. So in December every year, we have an offer in which new customers can get our stuffed ponies. So there's a lot of conversation in, in social media, usually at the end of the year about the Wells Fargo stuffed ponies. Yes, we, yes. We create these actually backed up, uh, based upon ponies um, and horses that worked in the Wells Fargo stagecoach fleet back in the 1800s. So these are real stories about real horses that really supported different elements of the banking business. And we've done a lot of great things where we've created coloring books, we've created holiday cards, all based upon our ponies of the year. And then we've been able to share those with individuals who often share pictures with us of their kids with their ponies, their pets with their ponies, the excitement of, you know, a new family opening accounts and acquiring a pony and telling us how much they love the pony or the pony's name means so much to them. So we try to personalize our replies as much as possible to align with campaigns that we're publishing. And again, that real-time conversation in social media. What I see as a theme here in listening to you and your approach is that you you sort of made it a, a scalable business of personalization. Every little thing that you mentioned are things that you can have be scalable and repeatable and yet feel so personal. The, um, the person from Wells Fargo signing their name, their full name, not even just their initials I see when I'm looking at Facebook and I'm looking at these things, responding with visual imagery, the happy birthday gif. There's so many things there, the, the system kind of behind the ponies. There's so many things that you've done to really sort of operationalize the personal touch that Wells Fargo gives. I absolutely love it. I presented in January at a different conference, which I think is actually where my connection to likable media came in oh. on this exact topic. Social, social becomes personal at your neighborhood bank. That was exactly the topic that I talked about. And I think that's what, I will say, I think this is what many banks are trying to do. And I definitely applaud some of my competitors for the creativity that they've used as well um, in responding to customers and to consumers live in the space. So I think Wells Fargo is ahead of the curve here, and I'm super proud of it. But we still have a long road to go as far as some other innovations that we hope to launch um, in the next few weeks and later this year. I'll hint Terrific. at that. <laughs> Terrific. I love it. I can't wait to see. And so, Jennifer, when you took on, I believe you said there's seven properties, right, that Wells Fargo's on in terms of social space? Correct. Okay. So which are they? And where do you see the most activity? So we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and Google+. Okay. We probably see the most activity on Twitter, 
And I would say that is probably common for any brand, not just in the financial services space. I think there's just so much real-time excitement on the platform. Uh, so Twitter is probably our largest. Facebook is probably second, partly because our follower base on Facebook is quite large. So that's sort of how our seven properties lay out as far as where the bulk of that conversation comes in. Instagram, definitely growing. We're seeing a lot more excitement on that platform. And LinkedIn, I'll call out LinkedIn specifically. Uh, LinkedIn is actually probably our platform in which we have the highest volume of conversation. Now, if you think about that, it's probably because it's a slightly more niche platform with a fairly dedicated user base, especially if they are in the job searching or professional skill, you know, ongoing education component of their careers. There's just so much great content on LinkedIn that I think we, and again, many other brands receive the benefit of a large employee base such as Wells Fargo has being more active on the platform. Mm. So LinkedIn, we've, we've continued to innovate and our LinkedIn platform manager and team have won multiple awards in the last two years for real best in class, best in breed, you know, content, conversation, presence, approach, et cetera, on LinkedIn. Incredible. And so I would imagine then that employee advocacy is an important piece of the puzzle for you. It is. And we have a wonderful internal communication network. So we're able to reinforce and promote social and what we're doing through that network so that it gives people an opportunity if they are comfortable to be able to support us externally with social conversation as well. And Jennifer, tell me a little bit about how the strategy has changed with the advent of algorithms. So looking at how paid has come into play, most of these networks have become pay to play now. You know, Instagram is now introducing the algorithm and I'm sure it will be much more pay to play based than it ever has been before. Talk to me about how that's changed the strategy a little bit for Wells Fargo. So we're definitely looking forward to seeing what happens in Instagram <laughs> yes. just on that note. <laughs> yes. um, I do think Wells, like many other brands, again, has had to you know, reconcile that if we want our content to be seen, we do have to participate in the paid side of social. I think also you see a lot of brands who are just shifting paid dollars from digital into social, um, still ensuring if they're using the right platforms and messages in social that they can drive through to whatever the call to action is or, again, pass through to that di- desired business result. So we have definitely participated in that. Uh, we definitely feel really good about our commitment to paid. I mean, the best part of paid, and I don't know if you've heard this from other people, is that the sophistication on the targeting side on behalf of the platforms has increased exponentially in the last three years. So what platforms can do now in really trying to reach the right audience for a message is amazing. And then what third-party vendors can do in trying to layer over that a true lookalike for a customer, again, especially important for a brand like ours, is really helpful at getting that right message to the right person at the right time. So I do think we recognize that not all paid advertising is going to lead to a conversion or even a click-through in that moment, but the hope is 
that with paid advertising, we will begin to build the long tail for that awareness and visibility increase that over time would put us in the consideration set with somebody. So we certainly participate in paid. We certainly use influencers to try to also help gain awareness and credibility in the earned space, which I think is really critical to talk about in conjunction with paid. Um, And we supplement that with organic content. We think it's really important to continue to pat the back of the followers who are committed to seeing our content on a regular basis. So we have a lot of great content, and there's a lot of great things that we can do in the engagement space, more what my team leads as far as the back end of conversing directly with brands. In fact, we've been doing a bit of that with some sports teams that we sponsor during the NCAA March Madness tournament and getting great visibility there. So paid and the owned and the earned and the organic all really have to work together. But I do continue to see that emphasis in increasing paid budgets to try to get more and more visibility within the algorithms. See, to me, I think paid is such an opportunity, just like you said, with the targeting. And the other thing that I I never kind of got about brands having difficulty with paid was that there's never been a medium where you would expect to reach people and interrupt them, you know, in for, for free. I think it's really about learning how you can be a part of their experience and a part of their feed in a way that that interests them. And and reaching them is is a, a privilege. I mean, unless you are really in a space where they are actively coming to you, I think it's an important it's an important piece of the puzzle. And the targeting ability makes sure that you're serving your message to the people who want to see it. It's a, it's, I think ultimately it's a great thing. It is a great thing. What I hope thing. develops in the future is more of that comfort for brands in the regulated industry around paid in real time. Mm. Real time is really the challenge. And real time is very much my passion because, again, that's what my team leads, that real time conversation. But regulated brands have a difficult time trying to be like Oreo during the Super Bowl of 2015, being relevant when, you know, the lights go out, hey, grab your Oreo, dip it in a cup of milk, you know, this will pass the time until the lights come back on. So for regulated industries, it's really tough to be real-time with paid to drive that uh, increase in visibility. Oh, that is really an interesting challenge on that. So how to solve the challenge for regulated industry to be real time with paid because a non-regulated can just turn it on and go. And when you have the algorithm, it's very hard for that to show up unless it catches the right people. The thing with the real time is that if it's the right message, it might catch the right people. But I I agree with you. It's such an interesting challenge. Jennifer, I think you're going to solve it. I really do. (laughs) I think you're going to work with the network. If I were betting on anyone to solve that challenge, I would actually bet on you for real. We'll have to revisit this podcast later this year. Revisit again. We're going to do yes. We'll do the follow-up episode when Jennifer (laughs) actually worked with the networks to develop a way for regulated brands to participate in real time using paid. That is brilliant. Brilliant. (laughs) I love. I'm on board. I love it. Okay, so you are obviously have a career that was fascinated with digital and social and community. Uh, so when you get home, do you want to shut off or do you want to participate more? Are you totally obsessed and addicted or is this your job and then you go home? This is most definitely not my job and I, uh, and I go home. So I talked about real time. So I love 
the real-time nature. So as I was thinking about this, listening to your other podcasts over the last few days, I realized I tune out when there isn't something real-time that I want to yep. participate in. When yeah. there is, and I have a lot of passions, particularly around sports, around current events, it's really hard to tune out. In fact, I would say probably most everyone on my teams uh, today is having a really tough time focusing on their job in light of unfor- the unfortunate news and of sort course. of world events today. So real time really does probably tap the passions of most people in social, including me. So I do tune out some of the time. And it's interesting parenting a 10-year-old and trying to convince them she's obsessed with recording videos for YouTube, even though she doesn't have a YouTube account. So, yes, we have obsessions in different ways. I just like (laughs) to be in that Twitter conversation. For her, it's video. Uh, But I do tune out some of the time. But I would say I try to stay pretty active. And I think it's really important for my job to do that so that I'm on the front end of what are other brands saying and doing in that personalized space as we talked about. You know, how are other brands participating in real time? Does that give me an idea of what I might suggest to Wells Fargo to do? So I tune out some, but not a lot. Incredible. It's really hard to, I think, especially when you're passionate about it. I think it's very, very challenging. And isn't it interesting? I have a 12-year-old girl as well. And so when you watch them and how their social behavior changes and what they adopt and what they're interested in, I think is one of the most fascinating things. I find that that keeps me almost more interested in social because I'm so fascinated to watch how they um, kind of shift into that world. It's, it's the most fascinating thing. It's a totally different approach than we had when social was first taking, taking hold. It's unbelievable. Yes. Yes. And I, my daughter's almost 11, just shy of 11. So she's not using any social platforms yet, but I am looking forward to in a few years when I probably will allow her to use them, almost seeing how her interests and how she uses platforms and that evolution helps me to bring that back to Wells Fargo. So I think Wells, unfortunately, our social team is not full of parents like you and I. Mm -hmm. So it's challenging because we lack a little bit of that 12, 14, 16 year old perspective. So we did a, we did a very fun Snapchat challenge internally with a number of Wells Fargo social media team members earlier in the year. Uh, we are not on the platform, and there were a number of us sort of in our 40s who were interested in learning more about the platform. So we did our own Snapchat challenge to each other just to try to understand the minds of the 13 to 20-year-old and how they were using the platform you know, with the hope in the future that it may make sense in a certain capacity for Wells Fargo to be on Snapchat. So we do try to bring our personal lives in as much as we can to evolve, again, our professional competence and understanding. It's funny you say that because I do a speech for parents. I speak at a lot. Once my daughter got to the age where she was using Snapchat and she's turning 13 in about five minutes. And so as she... um, as she got to that age and these parents have a ton of questions. I speak at a lot of PTAs and HSAs and all of these things about it. And the first thing I say is that moms and dads should get on and snap each other to learn because it's a counter intuitive sort of network. If you are over the age of 20, it's like not something right. that's like natural. You don't, you, it's not easy to learn because there's no words. It's really all swiping and moving and ghosts and crazy things. And so, but once you learn it, it's so much fun and you understand how your kids communicate. I think it's so key. And I love that you're doing that at Wells Fargo because that is really looking at 
how you would communicate with the future generation, which is great because right. those, those kids will be uh, tomorrow's young professionals. It's really, and how they, how they work is exactly how you'll see them work. How they're working on Snapchat today is exactly how you'll see them work going forward. Right. Nope. You couldn't be more right with what you're uh, saying. Unbelievable. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about where you see Wells Fargo going in socials or anything. I know you said there's some exciting things coming up. Anything we should be looking out for that you can reveal to us today? It's a good question. Uh, I do think we continue to advance what we're doing in the personalization reply space. Yeah. I think we're continuing to advance what we're doing in video. Uh, we're doing some really unique testing behind the scenes on a particular platform right now. I see that continuing to evolve for us. So I think those are a couple of big trends. I do see us really tackling this real-time video question. And I, I, again, I see other brands in our space also embracing this because many of us have important sports sponsorships throughout the industry, upcoming sporting events, and the desire for the consumer to publicly see those behind-the-scenes snippet videos is just increasing significantly. And I think for sponsors of these events, we need to figure out how we can help participate there. So I see us getting into more behind-the-scenes uh, a, a different view, video in particular, through some real-time shares. And I think those are kind of the three biggest trends that we're focusing on right now that I think will be the concrete launches Wells Fargo will push forward before year-end. Awesome. And what would you say are some challenges facing Wells Fargo in social today? So we continue to face this challenge. I brought it up earlier that yep. customers really expect answers if they have a complaint very much in real time, and it, we can't expect them to take into account the complexities of our own business model uh, and how we have to pass a question to get resolved. Yes. So I think this continued focus on being visible, being responsive very quickly, and continuing to socialize how we'll get to a response, but the importance of surfacing when we get to a response, that's actually an opportunity for us as well. We don't do a lot with promoting customer testimonials at all. We sort of hope that those will speak for themselves, but it is something that we've been thinking about. How could we better surface that uh, to help educate other customers? So I think this nature of real-time expectation of customer is going to continue to be a big one. I think the other challenge, again, facing Wells Fargo in particular, you know, we're a bank. So in social, is it really that exciting to talk about banking? Probably mm. not. It's much more interesting if you can, con can connect to the consumer and maybe even share banking stories, not necessarily a, a testimonial on getting an issue resolved, but how can you share how Wells Fargo helped aid you in your financial journey or how Wells Fargo's incredible commitment to supporting community and local organizations, um, which we're, we're well recognized for, how can we help articulate that that is actually translating to building houses for homeowners in need, um, supporting veterans as they return from overseas duty, again, to help them with tactics that will increase the structure and stability of them getting back to work and supporting mm. their family. So I think these are some of the challenges we continue to try to figure out 
in working with other organizations? How can we best tell our story together? How can we best articulate that, again, at its core, banking products and Wells Fargo's commitment to customer and to helping them on their financial journey are a key part of this, yet not told in an explicit way, here's our newest product offering, here's our newest service offering. So I think those are some of the challenges that we face in the social space. Wow, those are great. I think looking at your, it's the overall theme, I think, of both real time and then how to make the content mean more. Uh, But the real time piece is so interesting because it's not just your real time engagement around customer service, but it's also about the real time paid issue, which you talked about, which is really fascinating. I haven't heard someone talk about that before on the show. And I think it's a really, really interesting piece of the puzzle for regulated brands. So where should people follow Wells Fargo? Where's the best place? I know it's like picking a favorite child, one of your, your seven properties. Give me, give me one that's really great. And, and then, uh, all the others you already mentioned, but give me, if they were to go one place, should they go to Twitter? Twitter's the most active. I think Facebook is the most comprehensive for us about the Mm. story of Wells Fargo. So facebook.com slash Wells Fargo. You know, if I can sneak in a second, our Twitter handle is at Wells Fargo. You could sneak it in. I'll give it to you. I love it. And Jennifer, where should people connect with you? Should they go to LinkedIn, Twitter? What's best? So I'm very active on Twitter. So I encourage anyone to connect with me there. It's at Jay Hyman. And you also can connect with me on LinkedIn or through Wells Fargo if you can find me that way. And if you really want to throw me for a loop, comment on one of our properties and ask to talk to me directly. Believe me, that message will find its way to me. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Jennifer. You are one fabulous social lady. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kerpin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com. This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com.